I pretty much have tried to set my businesses up pretty much the same way. If I'm not in the top echelon of the business, I really shouldn't be in it. So once I've taken over the sawmill, that was my mission to go out and ensure that we are one of the top golf courses in the area. Small businesses are the backbone of the American economy and here in Michigan, but only 50% will make it five years in business. On Mitten Money, host William Zank will focus on helping Michigan-based business owners with the tough questions that will help them succeed. How do I expand my business? What options do I have for retirement? How do I move forward? Having worked with small business owners throughout his entire career and with excellent attention to detail and strong analytical skills, William Zank of TriStar Trust will unearth answers to these questions and more. You can subscribe to the podcast and learn more about how William and the TriStar Trust team can guide your small business at TriStarTrust.com. Good morning, good afternoon, and welcome to another episode of Mint Money. This podcast will focus on helping Michigan-based business owners find the answers to the tough questions that will help them succeed. On today's show, we welcome Wilbert Long on the podcast, who is the current CEO and owner of the Sawmill Golf Club and the CEO of Strategic Supply Chain Solutions. We discuss some current trends in the golfing world, the biggest lesson that he's learned in leadership, and what conscious capitalism means to himself and his company. So welcome, Wilbert, to Mint Money. Thanks so much, Bill. Glad to be here. Well, thank you for taking some time out of your afternoon. And so what about business made you initially interested in pursuing it as a career? When I think about business, my business aspirations started back as a youngster, but really following college. I came out of college at the age of 22 and bought my first home at the age of 23. And there was so much that I went through the bureaucracy and things like that. It intrigued me to say, what is there behind this? And I've always been a person to want to go out and really learn and understand different things. So I went and I decided to take a real estate course just to learn what were the things behind it. Following that, I was persuaded, influenced by a few people in Saginaw to go and get my license, which I did on the side because I was working at General Motors full time. And once I get my license, I really started to get more in-depth understanding of what real estate was about which led me into investing in some things like that. But really from the business side, I would say once I was married and we started a family and being a little bit traditional and old fashioned, I felt it was very important that my spouse or one of us need to be home with the kids full time. And it happened to be her and she agreed. So with that, I said, well, we're going to sacrifice a second income so I came up with a means of trying to supplement my General Motors salary and went out. And at that time in my mid-20s, I went out, I bought a restaurant. I started a record label. I did a production company in which I bought in different entertainment acts as well as buying real estate. So that's what got me started at that age there. And I was very intrigued by it. Did that for a few years until I left Saginaw in 1993. And once I left, my corporate career really went into full drive and working up the corporate ranks. Uh, I had put that on the back burner, but it was always in my mind that I really wanted to get back into the business at one day at some point. And so in 2016, I was able to get re-engaged into it once I left corporate America and started my the businesses that I'm currently in. So it's something that I've always looked at. Business is something that really you are in a position where you get to really make the decisions. In corporate America, yeah, you get to make decisions when you're an executive, 
but there's always someone there that's over you that's ultimately going to make that final decision. Where as a business owner, being in business, you get to make those decisions yourself. And also, I think it gives you a greater opportunity to influence and impact others around you within the community and other places. So that's really my story as far as aspiring to get into business. And those thoughts have been there for many years for me. And I've been fortunate that now I'm being able to live out that dream and fulfill it and to build a legacy for future generations within my family, as well as hopefully others that I'll be able to influence. Absolutely. No, that's very inspiring. And so it sounds like being an entrepreneur is very true to yourself. Now, was that restaurant and those other types of businesses that you invested in, were those other passions that you had yourself? Or is that something that you were always kind of interested in as well, along with real estate? The restaurant, I looked at that really as similar to a real estate investment. My wife isn't sitting here now, but if she was, she would probably smack me because she was the one that carried on the bulk of that thrust of the restaurant because of a small mom and pop restaurant right across the street from the courthouse there in Old Town Saginaw. It was called the melting pot at the time. And so it was very challenging, but it was an investment opportunity and something that I thought she would be happily engaged in. And she did enjoy it, but she let me know every day when I got home from General Motors how hard of a work day she had and that my day was nothing compared to her day. So I learned a few lessons there. And so a couple of years later, a little down the line, what made you interested in purchasing and being an owner of the sawmill? The sawmill is a little different. About 15 years ago, I had an initial thought of owning a golf course. At the time, I was living in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I looked at an opportunity in Florida. And so when I looked through everything, I say, well, logistics, things like that really probably is not the best thing to do. I was Again, in my executive career in corporate America with Alcoa at the time at headquarters there, I was traveling quite a bit. And so that just didn't work out at that time for me as far as the logistics and all. But once I left corporate America in 2016, I start having those thoughts again after I started my consulting business and strategic. I also started talking to other folks and some other thoughts were entertained to me as far as the golf course opportunities in Saginaw, where I grew up at. And I was looking at another course. Actually, I was on the verge of possibly purchasing another course. And then I found out that the sawmill was available. With the sawmill being available, I went through and I did all of my research and due diligence and so forth. And everything just fit. It was a great property at a great value, had great employees great members. The guys that went in business with me were great guys to work with. So when I brought all that together, I said, hey, this adds up to being a great investment for me. Also being able to contribute back to the community that I grew up in. And so it just worked out. And I've been extremely pleased. We're now in our third season there. And we've done some great things, some phenomenal things. I think it's just been a great investment for me. Of course. And do you mind talking a little bit about the decision-making process for introducing more technology within the course and making some other course improvements throughout your time at the sawmill? I'm a strong believer, and this comes from my learning in corporate America. I worked in various industries. I remember when I worked in the aerospace industry, there was a guy there that used to always say, and he was one of my bosses, Larry Bossidy used to say that if you're not first or second in the particular industry, you need to get out of it. And so I pretty much have tried to 
set my businesses up pretty much the same way. If I'm not in the top echelon of the business, I really shouldn't be in it. So once I've taken over the sawmill, that was my mission to go out and ensure that we are one of the top golf courses in the area. And I think the course was a very reputable course and pretty good standings before acquiring it. But really, we had to solidify, make sure that we were truly one of those top two or three courses in the area. So we came out the first year and took a look at what had been done. And there were certain things maintenance-wise that we really need to upgrade in. So the first thing we did was to go out and say, let's do the things we need to do, make the investments to get the grounds of the course back into peak shape. So we started making investments there. Then we went out and we said, let's get some outdoor areas so that people can come out and enjoy. So we expanded our deck by a thousand square feet. And then we bought some more equipment that was needed throughout the facilities and so forth. So we did a number of things that first year to send a very strong message to our membership and to our guests that come out and play our course or to have dinner or whatever. We tried to make sure that we wanted to demonstrate to them that with the new ownership, we were willing to reinvest in the business. We came back the second year and we had a plan to come in and to improve our fleet of golf carts. So we bought a new fleet of golf carts. We put GPS system on those carts, which at the time, no one else in the area had GPS systems. Now, to date, I'm not sure if anyone has added, but I'm not aware of anyone still within a 50-mile radius that has GPS. So we made those investments to get those things in place. And we also went out and we start, again, refining and improving the facilities of our golf course so that people can enjoy it because we listen to what members and other guests would say, and we're constantly working to make the necessary improvements so that people were pleased with that. And then we've come back this year, and again, we bought new equipment, things that it was taking a crew three to four days a week to do. They now can do those things in one to two days. So we're trying to make the organization, the tools, the equipment, the things that the people need, the resources that they need in order for them to be effective and efficient are extremely important because our team members see that we are committed to what we're doing and it makes them excited and motivated to step in and want to do a better job for us. And really that's what it's all about. Everyone's happy at the end of the day. Members are happy. The guests that come to our facility is happy. Our employees are happy and it all makes for a very good environment. Well, that's what it sounds like. Are there any future plans that you wish to talk about on the podcast or at least anything you can say? Only thing I would say is that last year, 2020 was, as everyone knows, a very challenging year with COVID. We had a record year in 2020 at the sawmill. The number of people came out, of course, it would have been better if we had indoor seating and those types of things. But that investment, the first year of having that deck extended, paid dividends for us because people could sit outside and partake in food or drink as well as playing the course. So we had a very good year last year. This year is off to a great start. And in the foreseeable future, I see nothing but continued growth in the business because people are seeing that we are committed to doing whatever it takes to make sure that they enjoy. And my philosophy is simply this. When you have money, everyone has a choice as to where they spend that money. They can go to this course if they want to play golf. There are a number of courses around that they can go to. There are a number of restaurants around that they can go to and to fellowship or whatever with their friends or family members. And what we try to do is put a product out there 
that people truly enjoy that they can say, wow, let's go to the sawmill. We can play around the golf. After that, we can have some dinner. We can have something to drink. We can sit on the deck. We can just sit by the fire pits or whatever. And so that's what we try to do. We're trying to make it an environment, an atmosphere that people truly enjoy. So with those things and our commitment to continuing to make improvements, I foresee the upside going forward, just continuing to grow. One of the other things I will quickly say is that we have really focused on the average age of our membership. So we took over about three years ago. I think the average age was probably early to mid 60s. And we have probably reduced that average age now by about 10 years. So again, that's part of the strategy is to say, let's that average age of membership so that you start to get longevity and people coming and not more young people are coming, more families are coming and enjoying. So I think we're in a great spot and I think we're in in very good position to have success for the foreseeable future. Was that change in age demographics more so maybe a new marketing campaign that you launched or was it with some of the recent additions that your business had made and investments into making it a more complete golf environment, maybe, or atmosphere? I think it's both. I think it was part of our campaign because we did, we sit and we looked at that. And that's part of the whole business planning process that you go through. You look, and that was one of the questions that I asked, what does our membership consist of today? Who are the members? What are the age of the members? And then looking at that, that was one of the things that we talked about and saying, hey, we've got to get younger members. And of course, we want to make sure we continue to maintain our members that are seniors. With that, if you continue down that path, you know, okay, at some point you've got to bring new blood in, you got to bring younger folks in. And so I think we have that very good mixture. So some of the younger families that are coming in now, they see the investments, they see the things that we're able to do. Families are coming in, they play golf. But in some cases, they just come in just to enjoy the facility, have dinner. We have fish fries on Friday, which are a big hit. And we're looking at other things as well. Maybe in the future, we start having some entertainment. We've done that as well. We have musicians to come in and they entertain. We're constantly looking at what more can we do to satisfy our client base. And we're always open to ideas and willing to try different things to make people satisfied when they come there. Wonderful. And so for businesses that are struggling to recruit talent in 2021, what are some things that you'd recommend to help attract new talent? I mean, if you drive up and down almost any street, you see lots of help wanted, lots of people trying to figure out how to attract new talent. And it sounds like for yourself, your golf course, maybe you guys aren't having or experiencing those problems or any issues. Do you mind expanding on that a little bit? For me as a business owner and been in business for some years now, for me, it comes down to good leadership. And that leadership is demonstrated through respect, integrity, employee and client engagement and recognition. And for me, these are all enablers for attracting the talent because people have an option. When you look at the jobs report I was watching today on the TV and they were talking about the number of jobs and they were saying, oh, 10 million, we we got 10 million open jobs and so forth. But people are not willing to work because of various things, stimulus and other things. But I think once we get those things corrected, people will have a choice of where they go to work. So it's extremely important that the leadership of the organization has an understanding of what it takes to recruit the talent and to make them want to come and work with you and to stay with you. So I think really strong leadership has to have that knowledge of, I need to ensure that the people realize here they will be respected. 
their voice will be heard. We will do the things that are necessary to assist them and support them in achieving their objectives. So money is extremely important, but it's not all money because they can get the money. And if someone's strictly for money, that's where they're going to go. But when someone's coming looking for a career, and that there's a huge difference there, because back when I came up through the ranks, it was you come in, you work for a company for 30 years. My last couple of years in corporate America, I was sitting in the boardroom and we were developing strategies and plans of how to retain our talent that we had because we know we're living in an environment now where the average person that's coming up now, they're going to change jobs 10 times in their career. And so understanding that, not having pension programs like you used to, you have 401ks that are portable that can go. So there's really no loyalty and no reason for a person to stay as long unless you give them a reason. And those are the things that we're talking about is that respect and recognition and those types of things and listening to people and and making them feel that they really do have a voice and they really are being heard and the things that are important to them are being taken into consideration. So I think for any business that's looking to try to attract that talent, those are the things that need to be on the forefront, not just to throw up and try to offer a person a dollar more an hour than the next one, but to offer those other benefits, the things that are valuable and important to people, that they fully understand that you are committed to doing those things. Absolutely. No, that's all really good advice. And so it kind of works my way into the next question. And what does conscious capitalism mean for you and then also your company as well? Conscious capitalism means a number of things to me. It's the community, the impact in the community, the things that you as a business are doing to help the people, but also it helps in the community. For me, it's getting to a point where you have your people becoming an extension of what your business is. Because if I do a great job of getting my team members and employees to buy into what it is that I'm doing to try to be a positive impact in the community, in the society in general, if I can get that implanted in them, and then they go out and they extend that back to their families at home and in their communities and others that they're around, that's where it starts to take hold and take shape and starts to really grow and expand. So for me, it's a number of things. It's the recognition, it's the respect, it's all those things that I've been talking about as part of the leadership and how you build your business and the things that you do and really expanding it. Because if we keep things to me in a box and say that I'm only concerned about making sure that I do a great job within my business and helping people, and my thought is not broader than that to try to plant the seed and to try to get those people to take those things and go beyond the walls of my business and take it back out into society and their communities. That's the key thing. And so that's a big part of, to me, of what it is. And certainly there's definitions. If you look it up, there are definitions to say this and that. But I try to keep things very simple. And to me, that's just a simple approach is to take those things, to try to embed it into others, and then have those others to go out and to continue expanding, play it forward. And so for you, for conscious capitalism, was that something that maybe one of your colleagues or friends brought up to you? Or did you see something local within one of your business networks or communities that made you initially interested in learning more about it? I've seen and heard people talk about things over time, but it's really nothing that has just stuck with me from that. It's just really something that's just been embedded in me. It's just the way I grew up. 
So when I look at the definition of a lot of these things that come about, I look at that and a lot of times I sit and I think and say, wow, that's something that's been embedded in me. That's just who I am. And so it's nothing that I look at and I learn and I say, boy, I need to jump on this bandwagon. Those are things, and it's just different terminology that's used to describe what it is. But these are the things and the principles and the beliefs that I have built myself over my life and over my career. And I continue to do those things. So really, it's more of a natural for me. My thing now is focus on building the legacies, though that, as I stated, we have to expand it. We have to continue to push and get people to understand the benefits of catching hold and going forward and trying to move the needle forward. I appreciate you touching on that. And so switching topics here to a little bit about money, what does money mean to you? We live in a society, and I talk to my daughters about this all the time. You hear people say money isn't everything. And then you'll hear someone will come back and say, yeah, it's not everything, but anything that you want, you can get with it. Or people say money doesn't make you happy. They say, well, I'd rather be happy with it than without it. To me, money is extremely important in the environment society we live in. It plays a very significant role. I think money opens doors for you to be able to fulfill goals and dreams that you may have. So it's extremely valuable. But I will say this, I don't place the value on money any higher than I place on other things in life. And again, as we talked about conscious capitalism and things like that, reaching out and helping others and helping to shed light and knowledge and those types of things with others. To me, those are the things, especially as I've grown and matured. Of course, when you're young, you're out, you're hustling, money is number one on the list. But as you get older and you start thinking about legacy and you start thinking about the other things, you always realize money is extremely important in what you do in life and in this environment that we live in. But there are other things that are more important. So what I've learned to do is to have that balance there and use money as a tool or as a vehicle to do certain things that I want to do, but that's done in conjunction with having a plan of motivating and helping to encourage and develop in others in the process. So I think money is important, but it's important when it's done in conjunction with the other things that you set out to do in life. That's the way I look at it. That's about the best way I can answer money. I would never take away the importance of money, but I will not say that money is the one and only thing that's high on the priority list. I think there are other things that's equal to, if not greater than money. Of course. I would assume that golf is probably something that you enjoy to do in your free time. Is there any other hobbies? Maybe golf is what you like doing in your free time. Is there anything else that you enjoy doing? You mentioned golf and you mentioned my hobbies, and I catch a lot of flack from people because they say, you're on a golf course. Why aren't you out there playing it? Well, the only time I play typically is when I come into Michigan and I try to get there every six weeks and I'm there a month at a time. And when I'm there, I try to play at least three or four times in that month. And this is more than I've played in the past. In the past, I may play three or four times in a year. I love golf. I've been around golf since I was seven years old, but I just don't get to play much because other businesses and things that I'm doing and mentoring and working with people and having conversations with folks. To me, those are the most important things for me. My hobbies really include things, really helping other folks, mentoring other folks, sharing knowledge and challenging people. And I do a lot of that. I have people to come 
sometimes people want to come to you with their hands out. And a lot of times I ask, well, what have you done to rectify it? Whatever the situation is, what have you done? Instead of coming to me with the problem, come to me with your proposed solution. Let's talk about it. So I spend a lot of time talking to people like that because I think it's extremely important to challenge and not give people the easy road out or just to throw them a carrot or to give them a fish, but to make sure that they understand what goes into being successful. How do you decide what you need to do and how do you help to get those things kicked off? So I spend time doing that. So that's one of the things I love doing is teaching. I just started a new investment club with my daughters and their significant others and really teaching them that. I said, hey, the things that took me to 30 years old to, to learn to do, I want you guys to know how to do that when you're 18 to 20 years old. You need to start learning those things. And when you have kids, I want you to start teaching them at an early age. So I spend a lot of time doing those types of things in the background. Sports-wise, of course, I love sports. I played a little basketball. I love football. So when the season's in, I'm watching it. I'm watching NBA playoffs now. And so I enjoy those things in addition to, of course, golf. And I get out with my wife. She likes tennis. So I I get out there and I hack at the ball with her. But I enjoy a number of things, reading various books and business. I'm real big in stock market and things like that. So I'm always up starting at 8.30 Central Time, which is 9.30 Eastern Time. I'm always up getting ready, watching Squawk Alley for the market to open and start <laughs> watching that and getting involved there. So it's a number of things that I do that I really enjoy doing in my spare time, which I don't know if you call it really spare time. Do you have any favorite books? A lot of the books that I like, I really enjoy reading biographies of great people. I have books from a number of folks. I've read Barack Obama's book. I've read Bill Clinton's book. I've read Donald Trump's book. I read a lot of books from different people, and it's important to me because it helps me to understand what's taking shape in their life, what caused them to do the things they do, and and really understanding a person and understanding a person's background and what it is that motivated them and led them to get to where they are, just like you're asking me questions here. That's extremely important because it helps you to really look at things from a different lens and you have an opportunity to understand the similarities that you may have in some of these people and also the differences and how they came about to where they are. And I've been a strong believer that I really admire the people that are kind of self-made, that a lot of us weren't fortunate to have a silver born with a silver spoon where we were born with money and wealth and it was just given things and could go out and invest it. But hearing and talking to other folks that have been able to accomplish great things in their career through the sweat and getting out there and just busting their tails and working extremely hard to get things. And then to be able to take and to utilize those things to create opportunities later in life for them to be able to enjoy life to the fullest. Those are the things that are extremely important to me. Wonderful. And so for people who want to learn more about yourself or the sawmill or strategic supply chain solutions, what are some good resources for the listeners? We have websites out for the sawmill. Certainly there's the sawmill.com website there, sawmillgolfclub.com website. And then for strategic supply chain solutions, there's the strategic supply chain solutions.com website that tells a little bit about me and my bio and so forth, a little bit about my background. And certainly those are probably the two through my business entities. And I'm a pretty public person. So 
looking out on those websites, certainly my phone number is there. And I have a number of people that do follow up and call me or reach out via email. So my email address and phone number are in those as well, especially the strategic supply chain solutions. In a nutshell, that's pretty much it. I'm always interested in listening and learning from others, as well as sharing what I can to help in developing others. So very pleased to be able to spend a few moments with you today and to share a little bit of my views with this. And hopefully, hopefully people continue to learn and to grow. That's the most important thing to get more and more people in our society continuing to grow, because that's what's going to be essential in helping us to continue as a community, as a society, as a country, for us to continue to grow and move to the next level. Absolutely. It's just like rolling a little snowball down a hill eventually. That snowball is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger with all the knowledge you learn every day. And so it just compounds on each other. So absolutely. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of Mint Money. Please don't forget to follow our podcast so you don't miss when new episodes drop. Thanks, Wilbert. Thank you, Bill. Take care. You've been listening to Mitten Money, sponsored by TriStar Trust. Subscribe to the podcast and learn more about how William and the TriStar Trust team can guide your small business at TriStarTrust.com. <laughs>